Ramble. One guaranteed way to make me cry is just remind me of the lifespan of dogs compared to most humans. Listen, my dogs, Mango, I know, Rotten Mango, and Tiger have been with me since before I started YouTube, before this podcast, and I truly don't know where I would be without them. But like, all I can do right now is spend time with them, take care of them so that they live the happiest and healthiest life that I can give them. Farmer's Dog is such a huge part of that. Farmer's Dog makes it easy to keep your dogs healthy, which can give you more quality years with them. So Farmer's Dog, they make and deliver fresh, healthy dog food, and it's recommended by vets. My vet literally recommended me Farmer's Dog. It's nutritionally balanced and made from human-grade ingredients in safe, clean kitchens. Tiffany has been bringing Cola, her French Bulldog, over, and she keeps some of his food at her house. She said that she's been having such a hard time trying to get him to eat, so I offered her some of Mango's food to give to him. She was amazed. She said that she's never seen Cola so pumped for food. Farmer's Dog is the best option for dogs at all life stages because it's it's not kibble, it's not canned goop, it's real food. With traditional dry or even wet food options, they're extremely processed. I mean, I can hardly understand the ingredients that go into it, and it's really hard to portion. It's difficult to understand if my dogs are getting the nutrients that they need. Farmer's Dog comes pre-portioned, and it's based on my dog's unique nutritional needs. So Mango and Tiger, they eat different meals, and it's so cool. Farmer's Dog is like human-grade food made in safe kitchens. My dogs have been on Farmer's Dog for years now, ever since Mango was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, and I just noticed so many changes. They've got a healthier coat, healthier skin, their breath is better, and right now, you can get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash mango. Let the Farmer's Dog know that we sent you. So use our code or click podcast after you sign up for your first box. That's 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash mango. Bada bing, bada boo. 25-year-old Jamie was getting emotional. She was getting emotional talking about her cat. If anything, she was getting angry. She was getting riled up. Her parents decided to give her cat to grandma for the time being. And Jamie was not having it. She ranted on the phone to her friends and family in a recorded phone call. No, that's my cat. That's my cat. Grandma can get a new cat. No, here's the thing. Here's the thing. That's not their cat. That's my cat. I'm going to be gone for a few months and then I'll be home. That's my cat. Look, grandma's cat Theo died from eating a toxic plant or something. And what did they do? What did they decide to do? Give my cat to grandma. They're not keeping her. So like, that's going to be a problem. Grandma is just going to have to get a new cat because that's my cat. Oh my God. Oh my God. Okay. I, I have to like say goodbye to Evan, my cat. Don't. <laughs> Listen, don't don't worry about Evan and the cats and stuff right now. You worry about yourself. You understand? Someone on the other line tells her, hang on, girl, you need a reality check. Girl, that's not your cat right now. Grandma is taking care of your cat. But Jamie could not stop worrying. It was a really rough time for her. She couldn't stop worrying about whether or not grandma was going to try and keep her cat, if grandma was going to try and rename her cat. She couldn't stop worrying about why she requested colored pencils and they hadn't given it to her yet. And she also couldn't stop worrying about why this was all happening to her. She said on a phone call with her dad, Why me? Oh my God, I just can't believe this. I can't believe this happened to me. Why me? I'm going to be here for years and years and years. And I just can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. 
Present, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, I just can't believe this happened to me. Why me, Dad? Why me? Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. I'm gonna be here for years and years and years and years and years. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. 25 year old Jamie Komorowski made a series of decisions that led to someone's death. A bride coming home in her wedding gown right after the best night of her life. She would be found dead on the side of the street because of what Jamie did that night. But she wants to know who's getting her cat. She wants to know why her, of all people. Dad and mom can be heard comforting their full-grown daughter, saying things like, I know, sweetie, I know, I know, sweetie. Don't worry about your future. Your future is going to be just fine. You know what they say about your attorney, right? They said the family must be mafia to hire them. Insinuating that the attorney the family hired is so prestigious, so expensive, that the family must be a part of the mafia to afford them. Really now? Yeah. Wow. Let's talk about the insane case of Jamie Komorowski and why her utter lack of remorse, coupled with her parents' constant babying of her, makes her, in my humble opinion, one of the scarier, more dangerous people that we've talked about recently. As always, full show notes are available at RottenMingoPodcast.com. This is an ongoing case, though. The perpetrator has not been tried in the court of law. And as of the time of this recording, I don't know when they're going to go to trial. So legally speaking, nobody has been found guilty of any crimes as of now. But the evidence in this case is really, really damning. And there is, there's no debate of the facts of the incident. There's no con- like points of contention there. It's just one of those things where I think we need to go and wait through the legal proceedings as of right now. I'm also going to link the GoFundMe for the victim's family in the description. So with that being said, let's get into it. Wedding photographers, they always talk about how they might be better than a therapist at spotting which couples are going to make it after the big day and which couples are going to divorce. Sometimes it's so blatantly obvious. I mean, one wedding videographer from Reddit said four days After he shot the wedding, the groom calls him and politely asks him to edit out any footage of him checking out the female guests. He said, you know, I got like vision problems. I wasn't actually like checking them out. Another wedding photographer said, okay, this one's pretty bad. He was working for a couple's wedding on a golf course. The bride had this grand idea for the first look. The groom would ride down on the golf cart, see her in the dress for the first time, and it would be this massive cinematic moment. Well, the groom starts riding down the hill on the cart, but once he spots her, he can't help it. He jumps out the cart and runs full speed down the hill in the grass to get to her faster. He picks her up, twirls her around in the air, and it was like the most genuine reaction that all of these wedding photographers, they're dying to get these moments. He was so happy to see her. But the minute he puts her down, the bride looks at the photographer. Well, I wanted the golf cart, so let's do it again. Wait. I wanted the golf cart? Yeah, she wants him to have the whole cinematic moment and drive down in the cart instead of running down. She didn't even care that her husband loved her so much that he couldn't contain himself. She's like, no, I want the damn shot. Hmm. They always say it's a really bad sign when the couple care more about the aesthetics and having the perfect wedding instead of their relationship. Those are signs that you would not find at Samantha and Eric's wedding. I really hate to say it, but they had the perfect wedding because it makes you want to roll your eyes when you're like, oh, they had the perfect wedding. They had the perfect relationship. 
But their idea of the wedding was fun. Like, that's what people said. I mean, I'm sure to a degree they cared about the photos. I'm not going to say, oh, no one cares about wedding photos and wedding aesthetics. Samantha had so much fun picking out the flowers and all the arrangements for the wedding. Their main focus was just on having fun. April 28th of 2023, their wedding was held on Folly Beach in South Carolina. About a hundred of their closest friends and family, I mean, some of them lived in the area, some of them flew in to celebrate with the couple, and the whole wedding was a blast. Even the photographers were probably having fun. It did not feel like a job. Samantha's sister Mandy baked the wedding cake, and I feel like the wedding cake is symbolic of if a wedding is fun. It was half pineapple, half coconut. Yeah, it's just what Samantha wanted. (laughs) And while the wedding itself was stereotypically perfect, I mean, it was on the beach. You've got the salty breeze. You've got the waves crashing in the background. The only thing that all the guests noticed, though, Samantha and Eric are like in their own little world. They cannot keep their eyes off of each other the entire time. If someone dropped a wedding cake, a bottle of red wine on Samantha's wedding dress, and like the DJ's power booth went out, it feels like the couple wouldn't even have been phased. Everyone kind of wanted to roll their eyes and like tell the couple to get a room, but they also knew that love like this wasn't easy to come by. A lot of their friends said, it's a love that you can only dream about. It seemed really pure. It seemed really real. And it feels kind of impossible to find that these days. So the memorable night, it ends with every guest being passed one of those sparklers that you use at the beach. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like the little New Year thing? Yeah, the New Year thing. Okay, so you light one end. It's like a long little matchstick. You light one end and it starts sparkling. It's so pretty in pictures, especially at night, because it creates this like light orb. A lot of people use it during the summer. So every guest would light one up and they created this archway. They would hold it up in the air, created this arch above the couple's head. So they had this aisle to walk out of their wedding ceremony in. And they were going to go and sit in their golf cart that was waiting for them outside. It had a sign on the golf cart, just married. The two were holding hands under their sparklers that are held above their heads. And the couple would be driven back to their Airbnb by two of their family members. So there would be four people on this golf cart. And it's going to be the start of their new lives as a couple, as newlyweds. As the golf cart starts driving off. The couple could see everyone waving, you know, waving their sparklers, waving their hands, cheering for the couple. Samantha looked into Eric's eyes and she said, I want this day to last forever. Those would be Samantha's last words to Eric. 20 minutes later, the golf cart would be lying smashed on its side and Samantha Miller would be found dead in her wedding dress. Neighbors said it sounded like an explosion, not as loud as like a gunshot, or a crash, but louder, like an explosion. It was just around 10 p.m., so most of the neighbors, they hadn't fallen asleep yet, and even if they had, it was loud enough to wake everyone up. They start rushing outside to investigate, and they see bodies, bodies everywhere. Four bodies were laying on the road about 100 yards away from a golf cart, all dressed to the nines, suits, tuxedo, wedding gown. It was a nightmare scene. A hundred yards. A hundred yards length of a football field. Yeah. Length of a football field? Yes. The bodies were scattered, so not all of them were a hundred yards, but they were, yeah. 
So in the golf cart, there had been four people, and I'm sure we're all pretty familiar with what a golf cart looks like. But if you've never been in one, to give you more context, golf carts don't really have real seat belts, and if it does, you're still basically sitting on a seat that's exposed to the air. There's no doors. It's almost like a rudimentary frame of a vehicle. They're often used on golf ranges, obviously, and beaches. Because they're really light, you can get out and in pretty easily since there's no doors. I've even seen them in really high-end resorts and hotels. Because the back of the golf cart is kind of like a bench. That bench faces backwards, so resorts will let hotel guests just hop onto the back, be driven to the room, to the main building, things like that. You can just hop back off. You're not facing forward with the driver. You're facing the back.、Mm-hmm. Samantha and Eric were riding in the back, facing the rear end. Samantha's brother Benjamin was in the front driving. Next to him in the front was his 17-year-old son, and we're just going to call him Benny. You can find his real name online, but since he was a minor at the time, we're going to call him Benny. The four they had been waved off by all these wedding guests after the couple departed. Everyone at the wedding they start making their way back home. They start making their way back to the hotels, Airbnbs, whatever their accommodations were, if they were from out of town. So Lisa Miller, Samantha's mom, and Mandy Jenkins, Samantha's sister, they drove back to their Airbnb, which was all kind of in like the general same area. Samantha and Eric's place was really close to theirs, so they're like, okay, let's just go home and wind down from this really beautiful but really exhausting day. And all of a sudden, they hear sirens, lots of sirens. Moms just know. I don't know how they know, but they just know when something is wrong with their kid. It's one of those things where I feel like even science probably can't pinpoint how, or they'll say it's just a coincidence. But there have been so many times where mothers get a gut feeling, and there is no reasoning other than this is my baby. I think something happened to my baby. Lisa Miller had that gut feeling. It was so strong. She ran out of her Airbnb without shoes on. They took off down the street to where they could see ambulances and police lights flashing. They were still a little bit far from the scene, and they didn't know what was going on yet. But Lisa remembers screaming, "Sammy, Sammy, Sammy!" and she said it was like this bad Netflix movie unfolding in front of her eyes. This next part is a bit confusing, and I'm not sure if Lisa and Mandy weren't allowed near the scene for I don't know a lot of reasons, or if someone instructed them to go to the ho- hospital instead. But they were under the impression that Samantha would be brought into the hospital, and that's where they needed to be—to be right by Samantha's side once she was brought in. I'm kind of glad that they left for the hospital because the scene is really gruesome, to say the least. Now, according to officials, the golf cart that had Benjamin, the brother. His son Benny and the newlywed couple in the back was completely mangled. It was on its side, and the four passengers had all been launched out of the cart. All of them were bleeding; they were fading in and out of consciousness. All but one, Samantha Miller, was lying on the ground on her back, still in her wedding dress, without a pulse. Officers tried their best to perform life-saving measures, but ultimately it was too late. Samantha Miller was pronounced deceased at the scene. She was only 34 years old. Looking at the scene, it wasn't difficult for officers to put two and two together. The golf cart had been driving down the road when a gray Toyota Camry had smashed into the car, sending every single person in that golf cart flying. The driver of the Toyota Camry came out unscathed. Twenty-five-year-old Jamie Camarasi, 
stumbled out of the car and she said, something hit me, something hit me. It's said by neighbors and witnesses that she saw people laying on the ground and she started screaming, who, what happened? Just hours ago, Samantha was walking down the aisle. One foot in front of the other, she was steady. Not just in her walk, but her conviction to marry this man in front of her. She was really happy. Jamie Komorowski also put one foot in front of another. But she wasn't as steady. It was a little shaky. And then she almost stumbled. She caught herself, gained control over her balance again, and then tried again. She still had a few more bars to go to that she still wanted to hit up. And all she had to do was get in her car. These are not the exact timeline of events, as I believe that's going to come out during the trial, but I think it's a, the parallel of what's going on is very chilling. While Samantha walks down the aisle, looking at all these faces tearing up at her, Jamie got off her shift at the Taco Boy Mexican restaurant and went for an after-work function. She starts drinking. She gets in her car and drives to another bar. While Samantha and Eric cut the cake, Jamie downs another drink at the second bar only to get behind the wheel once more and go to her third location. While Samantha and Eric share their first dance as husband and wife, Jamie was seen by multiple witnesses consuming copious amounts of beer and shots of tequila. She's by herself just bar hopping? Yeah. Jamie had gone to like five different bars that night. People reported seeing Jamie drunk. They said that she was behaving drunk. She was drinking a lot. Yet she still got behind the wheel each and every single time. Eventually, she decided it was time to go home. Except she was probably so drunk, she didn't even realize that she was heading in the opposite direction of her Whoa. house. Oh, She what? wasn't even supposed to be on the same road that Samantha and Eric were on that night. She didn't even live near them. She's going 65 miles per hour on a 25 mile per hour road called Ashley Avenue. The same road where the newlyweds were traveling going speed limit. There is footage from a neighborhood ring camera of this street. And you can see that there's a golf cart going pretty slowly. Like you can make it out. You see the headlights. You see all the lights on. It's pretty clear to see. And it's it's just kind of cruising. Imagine driving down your local neighborhood. You're not going to be speeding it. There could be kids out. There could be mm -hmm. stray cats or dogs out. You're not going to be booking it. So you see them at a visibly safe speed on the residential street. And then soon after, you see Jamie's cart speeding speeding down the street visibly it is scary fast and these two vehicles they're not going to pass each other they're going to collide at 65 miles per hour sam and eric were sitting in the open air with their faces to the back of the Whoa. golf cart there was a 3,500 pound vehicle coming hurling straight at them i mean technically you can almost see it as so one is going 25, the other is going 65. You can almost assume the first one's going like standing there and a car just smashed into them at 40 miles an hour yeah. straight in their face. And 3,500 pounds coming at you like that. I mean, that's not going to be 3,500 pounds. It's going to be more like 36,000 pound heavy machinery coming at an unprotected human body directly. That's like the weight of a whale shark. There was someone who put this situation into perspective really really well they said that drunk drivers are like missiles once they're launching towards you they're locked in and it's hard to change their direction missiles are designed to kill and destroy 
If you're drunk and you're operating something that powerful, you basically become in charge of a deadly weapon. If I offered you two different pairs of jeans and I told you that you can only wear one of them, you could probably decide in two seconds. But what if I offered you a thousand pairs of jeans and they're all slightly different and I said you can only wear one of these for the next 12 months straight. This will be your go-to pant of choice. What are you going to do? How do you even start to choose? That's exactly what I felt like when I was combing through thousands of listings whenever we were moving to a new apartment. I would spend hours a day stressing about, is this apartment in a good neighborhood? Is it going to accommodate my dogs? Does it fit my budget? I didn't know any of these. And the worst part is most of the listings didn't even tick all of my boxes. That is why Apartments.com is your best place to look for your new home. Apartments.com lets you filter your search based on whether you have pets, if you want a balcony, built-in AC, whatever it is that you're looking for. The website remembers your search so that you don't have to keep filtering every time you come back. And Apartments.com has more rental listings than anywhere else, meaning no matter how specific your needs are, they got you. And your instant alerts mean that you can spend less time online looking for the perfect place and more time doing you. So if you're looking for a new place to call home, head over to apartments.com apartments.com the place to find a place the wait is over that is right season five of the kardashians is here just when you thought life couldn't get any faster they're punching it into overdrive chris courtney kim chloe kendall and kylie are back and continue to defy expectations in all their endeavors so get ready to go behind the glitz and glamour of the most iconic family on television the all-new season of the kardashians premieres may 23rd streaming on hulu But I think the worst part of all this is Jamie's reaction to the whole thing. It's like a double slap in the face to the victim's family. At the scene, Jamie would tell the officers, I want my boyfriend. I want to go home. I did nothing wrong. So while Samantha Miller was found dead at the scene, the other three were rushed to the hospital to be treated for their wounds. The ambulance carrying Samantha would have their lights and sirens turned off. They don't turn on their lights and sirens because it was too late. It didn't matter how quickly Samantha got to the hospital. She had already passed. Samantha's mom and sister, who were waiting at the hospital, they would find out from Samantha's dad that she passed away at the scene. The other three, they get sent to the hospital. Eric was in really bad shape. I mean, he was immediately sent into critical care. He was knocked out. Like, he was not even conscious. It stated that he had open fractures, massive trauma up and down his body. He had broken vertebrae. I believe both of his legs were severely injured, if not altogether broken. He sustained brain injuries. One of his eyes was completely black and purple, and there was blood streaming down his face. He could not even open his eyes. He was unconscious for a while, and Eric's mom, she was handed a clear bag from the hospital. It had Eric's wedding band in there, because Eric had to be scanned, he had to be treated, operated on, and this is just hours after he put it on. Just hours after he vowed to take care of Samantha for the rest of his life. Thankfully, he did wake up, and just as his mom guessed, the first thing that he asked about was, where's Samantha, where's Samantha? Eric's mom had to tell him that she was gone that Samantha didn't make it. And Eric was an absolute wreck. He said later in an interview, that night was the best night of his life and he doesn't remember anything. He wishes he remembers more, but all he remembers was Samantha wishing, I wish today would never end. And then he woke up in a foggy haze in a hospital asking, where's Sam, where's Sam? He said that Jamie took something from him that night. She stole an amazing human being 
that should have not been taken. And I feel like Eric's mom in that moment, I mean, she had layers of devastation. Eric's mom was devastated to see her son injured and then devastated to see her son so devastated at the loss of his newlywed life. But also Eric's mom herself was devastated at losing Samantha too. Samantha was something special to everyone. You know, they were all excited to have her in the family. She remembered the first thing that Samantha ever said to her. It was, hello, future mother-in-law. And if it was maybe anybody else, it might have come off a little bit weird, maybe a little strong. But both families, they just really knew that these two were in love. It was just a matter of time before they got married. And now this just felt like some sort of sick joke. They're both having the best day of their lives, marrying their soulmates in front of the people they love. I mean, the visual of them leaving on the golf cart, waving, smiling, getting teary-eyed from happiness, it's going to be burned into everybody's memories. Mandy didn't even get a chance to ask Samantha, did you like the wedding cake? Benjamin, Samantha's brother, was also extremely injured. He had separated joints in his hip. He had two broken vertebrae in his back. He had severe road rash, which is when you slide across the pavement so quickly and with so much force that your skin is basically shaved off. He had to be sent to the burn unit during his recovery. He had to undergo multiple surgeries to clean out and patch up his injuries. And thankfully, the nephew Benny, he was okay. He only sustained some cuts and bruises along with a concussion, which makes it sound like a concussion isn't bad, but it, it's really bad. But compared to the other three victims, it could have been a lot, lot worse. Eric and Benjamin were in such bad shape that it was originally believed by many that at least one of them wasn't going to make it through the night. Thankfully, they both survived. So while the medical teams are doing everything to help the wounded, officers arrive at the scene and it's pretty obvious that Jamie was messed up. I mean, they could smell the alcohol that just permeated from her skin. It's like a perfume at this point, not even just from her breath. They asked her where she was headed. She's at home. Like I said, she was heading in the opposite direction of her home. Why do I, why do I feel like she's not heading to home then? Like yeah. Is she heading to another bar? It's just such a weird thing. Yes. I don't know. That's weird. Did you, did you have anything to drink tonight? No. I had two drinks. One beer and a drink. What kind of drink? Like a tequila pineapple an hour or so ago, which is just tequila with pineapple juice. Okay. On a scale of one through 10, how drunk are you? One being completely sober and 10 being the most drunk that you've ever been. Eight. After that, Whoa. Jamie immediately asks for an attorney. Now, none of this is adding up. If she went to that many bars before the crash, it's hard for me to personally believe that she only had a beer and a tequila pineapple. I mean, maybe she could be super lightweight, but like, I don't believe it. They didn't do a test right there? She wouldn't let them. Oh. She was driving in the wrong direction. I feel like that's very telling. And that's not to say that she's purposely lying or misleading the police. But if it does come out that she had way more to drink than that, which is what everybody believes and what her BAC levels show, then she could have been so drunk that she didn't even know what was going on when she's responding to these questions. Mm -hmm. Maybe she blacked out and truly didn't remember having so many drinks, which in and of itself is another huge, huge problem. She knew she was drunk, but she also knew that she wanted to go into self-preservation mode and get an attorney and refuse a sobriety test. Mm, yeah. Instead, she asked multiple times if her boyfriend could come. She said she wanted her boyfriend, and there is no mention of her boyfriend being an attorney. And when officers asked why she wanted her boyfriend, she couldn't really say for what. 
She just refused to complete any of the sobriety tests that they requested. So what do they do? They try to lift her feet to her arm. Yeah, it's uh, interesting. What does that mean? They try to lift up one of her legs uh-huh. in like almost a kicking motion. And she's basically a ragdoll. Like if, the, if someone does that to you slowly, you're able to balance. Right. You might be like, uh, what are you doing? But yeah, you're yeah. able to balance, right? Okay. She was basically a ragdoll because she immediately lost her footing and nearly fell. Uh. Jamie was arrested at the scene. She had to be reminded three times of why she was being arrested. And I don't think that this is a situation of Jamie being combative. Like, why are you arresting me? What authority do you have to arrest me? Like, on what grounds? I don't think that's what it was. But more so, she has no idea what's going on. She's like, why am I getting arrested? Yeah. Okay. Which, honestly, I don't know which one is worse. Once they get her to the police station, officers give Jamie another chance to take a breath test. And she refuses again. She simply asks for her boyfriend and her father. The officers had to get a literal warrant from the judge to force her to get her blood tested. The results came back as three times over the legal limit. At levels like that, it was 0.261 for anyone who's into the BAC levels, uh, or if you know what that number exactly means. But typically, levels like this, a lot of people are barely conscious. Much less able to operate a vehicle and or heavy machinery. Jamie was also booked under suicide watch because after her arrest, she mentioned that she wanted to off herself. She was charged with one count of reckless vehicular homicide, three counts of felony DUI with death or great bodily injury. Have you ever heard the phrase, bad things happen to good people? Mm -hmm. I really don't like this phrase, but I think it's most commonly used when you have nothing else to say. When something just feels so unfair... At Samantha's vigil, which was held on the very beach that she got married on, that was the main thought that everybody had in their mind. Why do bad things happen to good people? And some people just said that Samantha had this gravitational pull. You know, there are just some people out there for whatever reason. Sometimes the reason itself is unclear, you know, but you just want to be around them. Maybe they have good energy. Maybe when you talk, it seems like they genuinely are listening to you and not just filling the silence. And it's hard to pinpoint, but you feel like a magnet. You feel like you just want to hang out with them. And Samantha Miller was that magnet. People said she just had this very bright air around her. You couldn't even look away when she's in the room. She would be the type to go run errands, go grocery shopping, pick out the prettiest, freshest bouquet of flowers in the entire store go to checkout, and when everything is paid for, she's about to walk out, she would hand the bouquet over to the cashier, a complete stranger, and say, for you, have a nice day. That was Samantha Miller. I'm sure like every couple, they fought, they had their down times, but the two met in 2019, moved across the country twice to be with each other. They adopted a kitten and started making plans to get married and start their own family. They lived near Folly Beach. This was Samantha's favorite beach in the whole wide world. And they would walk down to the beach at least once a day. They were at that beach every single day. And at Samantha's vigil, again, people just couldn't stop asking, why do bad things happen to good people? That's also what Jamie's dad told her when she was sitting in her prison uniform, staring at her hands, and she told him, I just don't know why this had to happen to me. Oh my God, I just can't believe this happened to me. Why me? I'm going to be here for years and years and years. That's what she said? Yeah. And her dad responds, 
Because bad things happen to good people, honey. And again, you know, bad things happen to wonderful people, and that's what happened. Now you have to make the best of the situation. Her father reassures her that this was all fate. It's already happened. There's nothing they can do to change it, and now they just need to focus on their best to overcome it. If anything, this will help her become a better person. Listen, if you need someone to pass away in order for you to become a better person, in my humble opinion, you're just not a good person. Also, how does bad things happen to good people? Even apply to Jamie in this situation. A bad thing didn't happen to her. She did the bad thing, and whether or not she's a good person, I mean, I guess that part is up for debate, right? At first, Jamie is responsive. She's listening, nodding her head, listening to her dad. But then she would slip back and remember all the hard, bad things that she was dealing with. They're just chatting in prison. Yeah, FaceTime call, basically. It's like the prison video call system. Oh. Yeah, which is available online to see. So they were chatting. It was recorded. Yeah. And this is everything they said. This they had no idea. I'm assuming that this would be public information. Jamie would、um, have these screaming fits. So I I listened to a lot of their phone conversations. She would just have these screaming fits. I'm not sure how to categorize them. And I tried really hard to understand where Jamie is coming from, just like trying to have a little bit of nuance on both sides. I'm pretty close to Jamie in age. I also struggle with anxiety and depression. Which is what Jamie said she struggled with, and I don't have an alcohol addiction problem. But considering all of that, these screaming fits, I truly can't imagine anyone that I have in my life, myself. I can't imagine someone my age throwing these screaming fits. It's like screaming bloody murder. It's not even. What、angry. is she screaming though? She's like ah, like screaming. And it's odd because her parents, her parents' reaction is very, very odd. They just kind of focus on calming her down. The minute she starts screaming, they're almost using this soft, babyish voice with her. It just felt very inappropriate. But the most intriguing call to me was Jamie complaining to her dad on the phone about how much media coverage this case was receiving. Jamie asks him why the media is so involved in the case. Just like makes me scared that the media is so involved in it. Why are they so involved in it? Like, he states it's most likely because the story sells, and Jamie gets frustrated and she states, "But that's not going to help me." But that's not going to help me. Like, oh my god, it's going to be so bad when I get out. Everybody's going to be so mean to me. Wow, <laughs> what what is that? There's no sense of what happened, but. Everything is about how does that impact her self-being. Okay, so I saw some clips on TikTok where Jamie sounds a little bit more remorseful when talking to her parents, and she's apologizing to her parents. I'm not exactly sure for what, whether she's apologizing for what she's done, which I don't think is the case, or if she's apologizing for putting her parents in a situation that's this stressful. But I do see some sympathy for Jamie out there, which I think is very interesting to me.、Um, I see a lot of people bringing up alcohol addiction. I know someone who struggles with alcohol addiction, and trust me, they're not drunk driving. Alcohol addiction does not equate to drunk driving. It's still a choice that she made, and yeah, alcohol does impair judgment, but it's still a choice that she made, and someone died because of that choice. Anyway, during one call, her dad tells her. More information about what happened is coming out, 
and Jamie and almost this teenager voice. She's 25. Please keep this in mind. She's 25. She's a full-grown adult. She says, such as your BAC levels, your blood alcohol levels. But that just makes me even more scared of the future and everything. Jamie, your future is going to be fine. Your future is something that we can't do anything about. Your future is going to be okay. We can just work with what we have. Other notable parts of conversations are when Jamie keeps telling her parents or herself, I don't really know, that she's not a threat to society. She's trying to get out on bail. And at one point she says, I'm wondering when the heck I'm going to get my coloring pencils. What is she doing with that? Just bored? to color, yeah. And she also whines, Dad, I'm not a bad person. I'm not a bad person. Her dad softly tells her to quiet down and she starts screaming that it's all over because her boyfriend and her cat will be gone when she gets out. And she screams, oh my God, oh my God, I'm going to be here for years and years and years and years and this is just a terrible, terrible accident. I still don't understand why this had to happen to me. I just don't understand. Her dad tells her, baby, terrible things happen to good people. It's just what happens. Listen to me. It's not terrible. It's really f***ing terrible. To which Jamie starts screaming, Okay, Dad, I know that! Her dad tries to calm her down and says, But, but, it's gonna be hard. It's not gonna be easy. We have today, we have tomorrow. We don't worry about yesterday. Okay, Dad! I mean, it was a golf cart. Like, golf carts shouldn't be allowed on the freaking road. Why me? Why me? Why me of all people? Why me? I don't understand. Like, this could have happened to so many other people. And it was a golf cart. I know, honey. We know, honey. Like, okay. Golf carts be allowed on the freaking road. As if this could happen to anyone. Like, why me? Like, why me of all people? Why me? I don't understand. Like, this could have happened to so many other people. In another part, Jamie asks her parents, what I'm saying is, what I'm just wondering is, Like, so, like, are you and mom going to pick me up when I get bail? I'm just excited to get some answers. Another clip is Jamie saying, I'm not a bad person. And, like, it could have happened to anyone. It was just a freak accident. It's not like I'm going out and shooting people on on purpose. It was an accident. I don't think I'll be going to, like, prison or anything. She does not believe that she's going to prison. Her mom, in a soft voice, just goes, that's great, baby, that's great. And I'm just, when all of this is done, and I can just be happy. It said that Jamie also constantly complained about her living situation in the detention center, which I always think is very fascinating when people do this, okay? Obviously, if you're being abused, tortured, assaulted, or any sort of that against your human rights, that's not what I'm talking about. That is a legitimate complaint. But when people like Jamie complain about things such as not having control over the TV remote, not being given a yoga mat to do crunches, it's kind of a situation where I wonder, where was the common sense? It's a detention center. It's not the Four Seasons. It's pretty expected that you're not going to have control over what you can consume and what you can't in terms of entertainment. It's it's not a, there's no concierge. You're not going to get a yoga mat. She also allegedly complained about being unsatisfied with the food options. She didn't like the hot dogs or the meatballs or the bread. A lot of people said compared to real prison food, this is, this is good stuff. 
At one point, she said she was given two hot dogs with no buns or condiments. And it was, and I quote, so bad, it's so bad. So Jamie is in her cell crying, not about what she did, but crying about her life and how shitty it was and why this all had to happen to her. That's crazy because it, it just seems like she has no idea of what's going on. She doesn't even know how bad she f***ed up and what's about to come. Yeah. It's the feeling, right? Like she's about to get some real reality check. Yeah. If these, this keeps going on, right? And she's in a detention center right now. Just wait till prison. That's It's going to be crazy for her. Yeah, on the bright side, there were a few things that she liked about the detention center. The cookies. She said this about the cookies that they gave out during snack time. She said, these cookies that they give you at this jail, I'm going to start buying them when I come home. I'm not kidding. She says, I'm not kidding. Oh, and she really likes their soap. She talks about their soap. She really likes the soap in jail. Okay, I mean, it's so clear to me what's wrong here. Even Jamie's actions in the beginning of this case sound to me, it's just someone who is waiting for someone to come clean up her mess. And then when she was arrested, she asked for her boyfriend and her dad. I mean, asking for an attorney, I'm always a supporter of that, but it's just, it feels to me, she thinks that someone is just going to come and save the day. And that's maybe what they always do. This is why I'm a firm believer in letting people learn the idea of consequences when they're kids because the consequences typically don't involve other people and don't involve people's lives when they're young. But I feel when parents constantly teach their kids that they're going to be saved and they're not going to have consequences and that they're the most important person in the room, you get someone like Jamie. I'm not saying that her parents should just abandon her and I'm not saying that her parents aren't also negatively impacted and saddened by this. But listen to the conversation. At one point, Jamie apologizes to her parents. And like I said, I don't know if she's apologizing for her actions or for the situation that her family is in. It's unclear. But her dad literally tells her, listen, Jamie, you don't need to be sorry. There's nothing to be sorry about. It was a tragic accident. You didn't do anything on purpose. I'm so sorry. Jamie, listen. There's nothing to be sorry about. It's a tragic accident. You did not do anything on purpose. It was a tragic accident, okay? All right? You don't need to tell me ever that you're sorry for what happened. You understand? That wasn't the first time that they had a conversation like this either. Anytime she tries to apologize to her parents, they stop her and say that she has nothing to be sorry about. I feel like they're all in for a very rude awakening. Again, I'm not saying they should hate or abandon their daughter but they can still love their daughter, support her, pay for her attorney fees that only mafia members can afford, but still make very, very, very clear to her that what she did was wrong and terrible and that she's at fault and now she's got to face the consequences. And when she gets out, they'll be with her. They'll help her. Even the phrasing of Jamie's words to her parents, it's always, why me? Me, 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 me. I'm going to be here for years and years and years. And it's just so odd that she's complaining that her life is over when literally someone's life was over. Someone died. And it's odd that she and her family, at least to the public knowledge that we have, speak very little, if not at all, about what happened. It's all about Jamie and what's going on with Jamie and Jamie's cat and Jamie's boyfriend. And oh my God, everyone's going to be so mean to her because the media keeps talking about it. There are no mentions that I could find of any of the remaining victims or their families. We don't really know too much about Jamie. I mean, no one's really come forward to talk about her character or if she was a great person or not. Not saying that there's no people that can do that, but just not many. 
other than her family that have come out to talk about her. So all we have are her records and these phone conversations. And they paint a pretty damning picture. Jamie grew up in Jersey. Allegedly, her dad is a very successful multimillionaire businessman. Eventually, she would move to South Carolina to attend college. And after graduating, she starts working at this local Mexican restaurant called The Taco Boy. All we could really find about her personal life comes from her Instagram, which again is not a good or very accurate depiction of one's personal life, but it does seem that she does enjoy a good party, which is not abnormal for a recent college graduate, but there are quite a bit of photos of her with alcohol in them, in her hand, or either alluding to alcohol. But one picture that has gone a little bit more viral is from her Instagram from 2015. She's sitting in the car in the driver's side and the caption just reads, you got to trust your instincts and let go of regret. This post did not age well. A lot of people were commenting things like, well, this is up now. Others pointed out, let's not do that. The other only personal thing that we know is Jamie was seeking treatment for anxiety and depression before the crash. Again, This does not make you make the decision to drink and drive. So it's apparent that she is having some sort of trouble, some sort of struggle in her life. Her parents even acknowledged that she had addiction issues when it came to alcohol and they wanted her to seek treatment and rehab. But this wasn't even Jamie's first driving violation. There are some rumors that she had previous DUIs. They weren't DUIs. They were just traffic violations, moving violations. Prior to the crash, Jamie had four traffic violations. And again, she's only 25, so that's a lot. From 2018 to 2019, she received three speeding violations. And then on April 5th, 2023, just weeks before Samantha was killed, she pled guilty to failure to use a turn or stop signal. I love meal deliveries. In fact, I love everything about having my meals delivered straight to my doorstep, except the delivery fees. That's why I signed up for the Dash Pass, an exclusive membership from DoorDash that lets you make an unlimited amount of fee-free orders for eligible orders. Whether it's food from your favorite restaurants, groceries from across town, or anything in between, the Dash Pass can get you $0 deliveries and lower service fees on eligible orders. That means you can easily save money at your favorite restaurants and groceries stores the dash pass practically pays for itself in two orders on average the math is mathing plus dash pass gives you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items and all of this for only $9.99 a month open the door to zero dollar delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else sign up for dash pass today only on doordash and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member subject to change terms apply My dog Mango has been with me through some really crazy times in life. I mean, she's been with us for the past 10 years. If you guys don't know, Mango is my little French bulldog with half hair. Okay, she's fuzzy only half the time. And she is literally the glue of my family. I have quite literally named an entire podcast and a YouTube channel from my dog Mango. She is the reason that these channels exist. But three years ago, Mango was diagnosed with this autoimmune disease and she was always at risk of excessive bleeding. Her fur was falling out in clumps. It was it was a pretty stressful time in my life. I was constantly emotional about Mango being in pain and then I would get so stressed out every time I started going over the vet bills. Every time we took her to the vet, it was like thousands of dollars because her condition was so difficult to treat. And I 
am just so thankful that we had savings to cover it. I wish I had known about SpotPet a few years back. It would have just eased so much of that stress. Our partner, SpotPet Insurance, is here to share a message today on how they are a secret weapon against the unexpected. Because with SpotPet Insurance, you can get up to 90% cash back on eligible vet bills. Our dogs are always there for us during our hardest times, and we need to be there for them too. Go to SpotPet.com today and get a quote instantly. Visit SpotPet.com. Paid ad from SpotPet Insurance. Waiting periods, annual deductibles, coinsurance, benefit limits, and exclusions may apply. For all terms, visit SpotPetIns.com slash sample policy. Insurance plans are underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by SpotPet Insurance Services, LLC. There is another detail from Jamie. It's, it's more so from her family's past that gets brought up a lot in correlation with this case. On March 28, 2013, Tracy Komorowski, Jamie's mom, was driving in an area where firefighters were battling this huge fire. Jeffrey Schuerer was a firefighter trying to put out that said fire. He was partly in the street when he was hit by Tracy's car. Wait, wait, wait. He was where? Partly on the street. He was standing there? Yeah, while he was hosing down a fire. What? Now, this was definitely an accident. Tracy was not drunk. It was proven that there were lots of smoke and poor lighting, so Jeffrey was almost impossible to see. No one is really questioning that part. The part that is getting to netizens is that Jeffrey's family feels like there was no justice because Tracy, Jamie's mom, apparently didn't face any consequences, even though the police said that they would be on top of it. So just like in Jamie's case, a lawsuit was made against Tracy saying she was negligent enough to not slow down knowing that there was was a lot of firefighter activity in the area and that caused her to kill Jeffrey. Tracy ended up having to pay $100,000 in settlements signaling to a lot of netizens that the court must have found her negligent in some regard to have this sentence go through. So I'm not sure how to stand on that. It's It's not Jamie's actions, and it does seem to be a true accident from at least Jamie's mom's perspective. But netizens speculate that maybe the family has such a nonchalant attitude to Jamie's case because they've already been through something like this. And they've paid $100,000 and they were fine. Maybe they believe that as long as you pay up, you'll avoid true punishment like jail time. There's no way to know for sure unless they admit it themselves, which I don't see why they would ever do that. But netizens found a lot of similarities regarding these instances, and I just felt like it was worth mentioning. Three months after her arrest, Jamie's bond hearing comes up, and she tells the judges that she's not a flight risk, nor would she be a threat to others. Samantha's family were also there to appeal to the judge. Samantha's father said, Bonds are meant for people to spend time with their family, right? He's pointing out that it's ironic considering he will never have that luxury again. He will never be able to see Samantha ever again. He's saying if and when Jamie serves her time, she will still have the opportunity to spend the rest of her life with her family afterwards. Samantha's father also states that Jamie is a danger to society. And he questions what's going to happen if Jamie starts drinking again. How many people are going to get hurt then? Samantha's other brother, Nathan Miller, told the judge that Jamie's actions of driving down a narrow residential street while drunk at night at that speed is so careless that there almost had to have been an intention to hurt someone. He states the alcohol is not the problem. The problem is Jamie herself. She is not responsible enough to be trusted. She's not trusted to show up back in court, not trusted to not hurt anybody else, and not trusted to not drink. 
They bring up the fact that Jamie had prior court dates that she did not attend for previous traffic violations, which proves that she cannot be trusted to show up in court if she gets out on bail. Samantha's siblings stated that if Jamie is released, the next victim could just as easily be anybody else's loved ones in that very courtroom. Lisa, Samantha's mom, said, She didn't just kill my daughter. She killed all of us. On Jamie's side, her father stood up to speak. He gave his condolences to the families involved and told them that he can't even grasp how painful this must be for them. He states that he knows she will not flee if she is released. He also states that she is in a transformative part of her life right now. The screaming fits on the phone, I guess, are transformative exercises. He said she understands that her circumstances may help other people with their addiction problems and keep them from ending up like her. If she is released, they plan to directly put her in a recovery center for a period of time determined either by the judge or for as long as the workers at the center seem fit. Their attorney also got an addiction specialist to speak on how they've seen people in these situations before battling addictions and have overcome it and become better people Mm -hmm. and that she has hope for Jamie to do the same. Here's my thing. I was on Reddit and a lot of people who do struggle with addiction are really offended by how this case is being presented by Jamie's side. They're using addiction as their fighting point. Mm Mm-hmm. And they're making it about all people with addiction. Addiction is a crisis that is affecting so many lives. But no, the problem is not addiction. It is a problem, but this is not the case's problem. It's still drunk driving. Yeah. So it's just, it feels really gross to people that are battling their own struggles right now. Yeah, they're trying to make addiction the villain rather than her. Yes. And it's like, well, no, you... But then that also just shows more of her disregarding her behavior. Yeah. She's still not acknowledging what she did was what caused this. Yeah. So that makes it even worse. And I think without these phone calls, I think people would have been a bit more sympathetic of, okay, maybe this truly is addiction. She made a horrendous, horrendous choice that nobody should ever make. Maybe she can try to grow. Mm. But these phone calls show she doesn't want to. That's my opinion. She doesn't want to. So part of the leaked phone calls that Jamie had with her father and, okay, well, the the phone calls weren't necessarily leaked. There's an FOIA that was filed by media outlets. It's a Freedom of Information Act. Media outlets requested voice and video calls between the Komorowski family be released to the public. Yeah. Which is a thing because all video and phone calls in jail that are not with your attorney are recorded and they are technically can be public information. There is one part in the phone call where her dad tells her that if she gets out on bail, she will need to go to rehab. She's nodding, but her eyes seem so over it. She looks like a teenager being told to clean her room. She responds very enthusiastically. Okay, how long is that? Four to six weeks. She rolls her eyes. I'm talking bug eye roll. Like not even a small light quick one. I'm talking full like, ugh. All right. If it helps my case, then I'll do it. Her dad says, it might help you a little too. Sure. She seems visibly disinterested. So clearly, if she gets out and goes to rehab, I personally don't think that she's going to change. And that's terrifying. It also just shows a lot how she became this way. Yes. Like through the parenting and their interactions. 
yeah, I, I did see some people sympathizing with the parents and saying things like, you know, her parents are also victims in this because they're losing their loved ones and everyone's affected. But I think how she got here is mm -hmm. crazy. Yeah. I mean, if you, I'm right. sure most of our parents would have not responded like that. Yeah. Let's it just be yeah, honest. Exactly. I don't know if the judges saw all of that, but she was denied bail. She can only get bond now if they don't set a trial date before March 2024. And even then, she'll be given a $150,000 bond, constant monitoring of her BAC levels, and house arrest. Jamie burst into tears when she heard that she wasn't getting bond. Which to me, I guess, signals that she truly believed that she was somehow going to get out of this. Now, I do want to be fair and mention that there are times that Jamie expresses remorse for what has happened. But most of it is accompanied by her saying that she doesn't want to be in jail for a long time. Overall, it seems that Jamie is a lot more genuine and authentic when she's complaining about being in jail. Netizens have pointed out that her response reeks of privilege, as if she's frustrated that saying sorry isn't enough. That's, that is the energy she gives in a lot of these conversations. Like, I said sorry, what more do you want from me, is the energy. She talks in the recordings like someone who didn't do anything that wrong and is being wrongfully persecuted. And her parents seem to be feeding her delusion that she's not at fault. So while Jamie was upset at being denied bond, Samantha's family, they felt peace of mind and soul. They said that now they don't have to worry about Jamie being a danger to society. Samantha's mother, Lisa, said, Jamie created havoc in everyone's lives. I don't think that three months spent in jail. I mean, three months is nothing. It seems like yesterday for us. Why should she get out and just go about her merry way? So yeah. Why should she be free and live her best life? Her daughter is gone forever because of Jamie's choice. There have been other developments in this case. One that was really unexpected was a sheriff is under fire. During conversations Jamie has with her boyfriend, like video calls, it sounds like she's getting special treatment from Sheriff Kristen Graziano, which if you think Sheriff Kristen is just out here supporting all inmates... I don't know. I honestly don't know. So Jamie is saying things like, oh, the sheriff is going to like try and help me. The sheriff said that she's seen cases like mine and they get out. The sheriff thinks that I don't belong in prison, blah, blah, blah. It's weird. Her, the sheriff helped her meet her parents when they weren't allowed to meet at a time or something like that. She's mm. just alluding to all these things that the sheriff is doing for her. Now, Sheriff Kristen, her previous scandal that I could find about her was she was under fire by a local congresswoman for, quote, troubling and tragic deaths of inmates the moment that she took office. So after the sheriff got into office, a bunch of inmates had some troubling and tragic deaths while they were being held. Tragic death? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Sheriff Kristen responded that these deaths happened at the hands of the county's contracted medical provider and not her. She claims that these were also some concerns that she had that she had been trying to share with her superiors, but she was constantly ignored. So this was like a mini scandal for Sheriff Kristen, right? But now she's under fire for the conversations Jamie was having, where it sounds like she's getting special treatment from the sheriff and how the sheriff is telling her all of these things. In some of the calls, Jamie reportedly refers to Sheriff Kristen just by her first name. And even stated that Sheriff Kristen is going to try and help her get out. Which, side note, sheriffs have no legal holding over who gets out on bail. Now, sometimes when Jamie would talk about the sheriff, her dad would kind of hush her to tell her to stop discussing these things. Mm -hmm. The sheriff's office said that this is not special treatment and Sheriff Graziano is always visiting inmates and maybe Jamie got the wrong idea. 
But here's what's interesting. Well, actually, two things that are interesting. The first being that Sheriff Kristen does have connections to Jamie's family, apparently through one of Jamie's lawyers. I don't know how Sheriff Kristen is connected to that lawyer. Maybe they're both clients of this expensive mafia lawyer. I don't know. Maybe it's a friend of a friend. But it does seem like there's some sort of connection. Does that mean something is happening behind the scenes? I have no idea. We don't know that. But the connection was just allegedly out there. After articles were published of Jamie's special treatment in jail by the sheriff, more freedom of information requests were made to get more footage, but they were denied by the sheriff. Gray Television, a media company, would actually sue Sheriff Kristen for that. The belief by some netizens being that clearly the sheriff has something to hide. I mean, so far the phone calls have been really damning for Jamie. What is the sheriff? Like, she has no skin in the game. Mm -hmm, Unless mm -hmm. she does. Yeah. The sheriff's office said any additional release of the tapes may affect the defendant's privacy, her safety, and her right to a fair trial. These are exceptions that all fall under the guidelines that allow a government agency to refuse an FOIA request. On July 10th, a court hearing took place over the other recordings that hadn't been yet released to the public, and the judge sided with great television. And a lot of it fell on the fact that when inmates are in conversations with family or loved ones, there are signs above each phone and tablet that visibly state all calls are recorded. Judges stated that inmates immediately consent to being recorded the moment that they pick up the phone which means there is no reason for why the sheriff's office should be withholding the calls from being released to the public since they are considered public records. No privacy is breached by releasing them. Yeah, and, and yeah, exactly. Why was sheriff even trying to protect these information? Yeah. It This is not even their job to protect their privacy. Like, what? Mm-hmm. You know, these are, you know. And like... When have we ever heard a sheriff caring about a citizen's privacy, especially an inmate's privacy? I've never heard of that in my life. Like, you think there's sheriffs just out there like, no, inmate privacy. Exactly. That's that's the hill I'm going to die on. It's weird. So is there new videos or... Yeah, so released? a lot of the ones that we talked about are some of the released ones. Oh, those she were was later trying to, released. Oh, yeah. Ah. Yeah. Obviously, this would have been a different case if she was talking to her lawyer, but there was no attorney-client privilege amongst families. So, yeah. In the end, Sheriff Kristen Graziano is expected to pay Gray Media $33,000 to cover their legal fees of taking this to court. I have no idea how to feel about this whole part, mainly because I'm scared of sheriffs. But ultimately, even if there is no special treatment being given, Sheriff Kristen is only helping give Jamie more reason to believe that she herself is the victim in this situation. And that kind of bothers a lot of people. As of now, Eric has filed a wrongful death suit against Jamie and the restaurants that she went to that night. Eric and his attorneys argue that the restaurants that Jamie went to to drink are responsible for over-serving her drinks while she was already drunk. The lawsuit details that the businesses were setting, quote, events into motion for the day to turn deadly. Basically, they're saying that when the bars saw Jamie super intoxicated, it was their duty to not allow her to keep drinking. The, the, the claims also state that these bars did not properly train their staff in order to prevent over-serving and that they should have known that Jamie was drunk and she was going to drive. I've seen mixed feelings about this online, about whether or not the bars should be held liable for this. And while I agree that staff can always be better trained to not serve alcohol to people who are already intoxicated, I think the idea 
that the staff knew she was going to drive is interesting. I think it's going to be a bit of a challenge to prove in court. But regardless of how netizens feel about the establishments and their roles and all of this, bars can be legally liable for a person who gets involved in a DUI crash if it was found that they were overserved at that restaurant or that establishment. So if an establishment that serves alcohol sees that someone is drunk, it said that they should stop serving them alcoholic drinks, they can call a cab for them, offer them food and water instead, and notify management. So there's options in place to help prevent drunk driving. I think the hard part would just lie in the fact that the lawyers on Eric's side will need to prove that the staff knew that she was overserved and knew that she was going to drive. Maybe it's easier to prove against the bars near the end of her bar hopping journey, I wonder, right? Different legal experts have weighed in, and one of them said, even though this lawsuit makes sense, it's risky when it comes to accusing the restaurants. So yeah, the restaurants likely have the finances to pay up in the lawsuit, but providing evidence that the restaurants knew she was drunk is going to be pretty difficult to prove. Not impossible, but difficult. Also, I don't know if Eric is doing this for money. It doesn't seem like he's doing it for money, though sometimes I think lawsuits just kind of have a correlation with, ah, this person wants money, right? Eric's attorneys mentioned how it's a privilege for businesses to be able to serve alcohol. It's not a right, and they need to do it responsibly. The lawyer states that he hopes this lawsuit will just give more establishments that, oh, okay, I really need to take this more seriously. And it'll give citizens the courage to step in and stop someone from drinking and driving. I think the lawsuit against Jamie should be easier. But some say she herself doesn't have much money. What would she even be able to pay Eric and Samantha's family? And again, not that they want money, but this is just going to be another thing where Jamie is let off without any real consequences. Mm-hmm. Even if she is sued and found guilty of a wrongful death, what money can she give? Yeah. And again, I just want to mention, it doesn't seem like they're doing this for money. I just think it's only fair for them to receive money from the responsible parties. Eric had to undergo two reconstructive surgeries. He has one to three more scheduled for his left eye operations. He had brain bleeds. He was wheelchair bound for a while after being released from the hospital. He's lost 20 pounds, still feels severe pain from his injuries. And that's just the physical aspect. There's so much mental and emotional trauma to unpack. Meanwhile, Ben, Samantha's brother, he's going to need a skin graft at some point. He was unable to walk properly for quite a bit of time, used a cane to get around. He has to learn how to walk all over again. And as for Benny, the 17 year old, I mean, physically he was okay, but the trauma of that night of seeing his loved ones just launched from this golf cart on the ground, I mean, that's going to stay with him forever. He was only 17 when it happened. According to the CDC, 37 people a day die in crashes involving an alcohol-impaired driver. 37 people a day. If on average a family is consisting of four family members, that's almost 10 families gone in a day wiped out that's over a third of everyone who attended samantha and eric's wedding every single day in one year around ten thousand americans so not on a global scale just in america are killed by drunk drivers so it's just something to think about and we are also waiting to see how the trial plays out and what happens to jamie i mean i just hope that this is another reminder don't drink and drive But other than that, try and end it on like a lighter note. Folly Beach has this iconic boat called the Folly Boat. 
and visitors and residents, they'll paint it with new messages. Sometimes it's by season, sometimes it's by month or by events. And the boat now reads, Sam and Eric forever. And there is this beautiful drawing of a palm tree right next to it. Wow. And that is the end of today's case. Um, please let me know if you guys want me to stay tuned for any updates on this one. I don't know. The whole thing is just so infuriating. Just if you listen to all of what Jamie said in prison, it's really hard to even try and feel like, oh, maybe people change. I'm also going to be listing um, Lisa Miller's GoFundMe in the description. So please go check that out. And I will see you guys on Sunday for the mini-sode. Stay safe. Bye.